I know what it's like to feel invisible, to think it's too late to become what you've always wanted to be. You feel like it's too late to have more life. I felt that way too, but when I lost my brother to cancer, he made me realize I have way more life to live. And I discovered the choice was mine to live it or not. I know you want to become confident and empowered, and you deserve to step into that life you are yearning for. I'm Carrie V, and I get it. There is more greatness to come in your life, and I know you can feel it. I've made a choice to live my big life. Now it is your turn to be empowered and step into the life that has always been yours. It's time for you to step off the sidelines and into your own life, the one you were created to live. It's easier than you think. I believe in you. In fact, I am your biggest fan. So let's get started. Every guest that comes on to Coffee and Tea with Carrie V podcast is asked a question at the end of the podcast. What is your version of your pow pow shoes? What does it mean to step into your pow pow shoes? It means learning to laugh and find joy even when life is hard, especially when life is hard. It means digging deep into who you are, why you're here, and what you were created to do. It is part of the radical empowerment method, getting off the sidelines of your life and stepping into those pow pow shoes, stepping into your confidence, your radiance, your best brilliant self, being unapologetically you. I have been working on my book, The Radical Empowerment Method, for over a year, and it is almost here, and you get to be one of the first to have it. Head to the link in the bio and get your name on the wait list, and you will be the first to know. I am your biggest fan. I love you. Get your name on this wait list. Today on Coffee and Tea with Carrie V, we are speaking with Mary Jenkins, an incredible woman from Ohio, a two-time breast cancer survivor who created an organization to provide the support for people with cancer that she could not find when she was on her cancer journey. Sometimes it's rough, but you know what? She keeps going because it isn't about her. It's about the people in treatment who need help just like she did so many years ago. Mary believes and knows that it is her assignment to be the voice of hope to those in the toughest battle of their lives. You are going to love this woman's heart. Have a pen ready, have paper ready, get ready to dig in. Mary, welcome to Coffee and Tea with Carrie V. I I can't wait for this interview. I'm excited. I am excited. Ooh, look, oh, oh God, I see me on Facebook too. Oh, <laughs> awesome. So I am, I am sharing... It's the host technology thing here going on. The host technology. There we go. So I have shared it to my page and I have liked it. Yay! Fantastic. (laughs) With glasses on. So off camera, Mary and I have gotten to talk a little bit, and I am already just like, I just want to go drive and meet you and sit in an actual cafe and talk forever. For those of you who are listening and can't see this woman, she is a ray of sunshine. And when you hear her story, you're going to wonder where that sunshine came from. 
And that's why her story is so incredibly life-changing. So Mary, let's hear it. Let's, let's hear about who Mary Jenkins is. You make me want to sing. You are my sunshine, <laughs> my only sunshine. <laughs> that, that, that just, that touched my heart. Um, it, it, Cause I aspire to be a light in someone else's life. Um, I understand that my life isn't about me. Um, mm-hmm. I, I get to experience so many incredible things. I have experienced so many incredible things, yeah. but my life isn't about me. It's about who gets to hear the words that I speak and their life being impacted. And so just a little about me. Um, I am 53 years old. You have to be 54 this year. Ooh, me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I am a widow. I was married at the age of 19. Wow. My husband died on active duty. Uh, he was in the army. I'm a veteran also. Um, we had been married for two months and 29 days. Oh, and, uh, he unfortunately passed away. He was preparing to go to Honduras. Um, it was the whole crisis way back when. Um, wow. I was pregnant when um, he passed away. And so I was pregnant with my second child. So I'm a... Um, like I said, I'm a widow. I have three boys, uh, Edwin, Joseph, and Jerry, who I affectionately call BJ. And so I have my three sons and my oldest son is married to Candace. And they have blessed me with an incredible grand sunshine called Jude. Um, oh. so doing that, um, let's see, I'm also a two-time breast cancer survivor. Mm-hmm. As you know, gosh, I'm trying to think this I mean, all of my ailments. And when I put them out there, people are like, how is she still living? How so, are you still smiling? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm two-time breast cancer. I had reconstruction that failed and almost killed me. Um, I ended up with heart failure, diabetic, keto, full diabetic. So I didn't had the most, and I battled COVID last year. So <laughs> <laughs> I done been through it, but through it all, I, you know, I've, and there's a song that says, I learned it, through it all. I learned to trust in Jesus. I yeah. learned to trust him at his will. And so I just learned to just live each day in the moment and just trust that Romans 8, 28 is real. So I'm a preacher too, um, yeah. been in ministry for 30 years. And so I, I mentioned scripture a lot. And, but Romans 8, 28 says that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And so I love God and I yeah. know. That means that I, you know, I don't have bad days. I have days that may be less favorable, but there's a lesson that I get to learn. And it's like, oh man, okay. (laughs) I didn't expect this, but the lesson was amazing. And those lessons that to empower other people. And so, so aside from starting the nonprofit when I was in treatment, then started hope coaching, which the word hope is an acronym that stands for helping out people everywhere. Um, so I do that. I do nonprofit consulting. Gosh, I'm a newly author. I'm now an author. Oh, Got to remember that. I'm an author now. My book is titled Destined to Overcome. And wow. so, I mean, so I got a lot going on, but <laughs> you know, I'm most known for the fact that while I was battling stage three, almost stage four breast cancer, I started a nonprofit. I mean, that people are like, how did you, you yeah. were battling yourself. You were going through treatment yourself. And I was like, yeah, I was. And, you know, I had stage three, almost stage four invasive ductal carcinoma, triple negative. And so with that type of diagnosis, my only options were aggressive chemo, surgery and radiation if need be. Wow. So I started the aggressive chemo, you know, hair came out, 
Um, I learned very, very quickly that I felt I was cute, bald-headed, so you couldn't tell me anything. <laughs> and I was like, there is a strength that comes out when you can be in public bald-headed. I mean, you can't, once you go in public bald-headed, don't, don't tell me nothing. So I, <laughs> I was like, cancer chose the wrong one. I was the, you know, and then I was like, no, I was the right one because yeah. I'm going to help people be able to navigate through their cancer journey by faith. And that's exactly what I did. And so I was walking by faith and then, you know, was going to work, trying to press my way to go to work and was getting sick at work. And Mm. it was crazy because I was like, oh man, still got to be to work at eight o'clock. So I'm just like, I'm going to do it. I can make it. I'm a single parent. You know, I had the income from my husband dying, but I also had income from a full-time job. And so when, you know, when I started getting sick, my employer was like, you know, Mary, we understand that you want to still come to work, you know, but, you know, we, we, we found you a couple of times in the bathroom and uh, we don't think it'd be good for you. So we're going to go ahead and let you go so that you can focus on recovering, which in the moment, it sounded great because that meant I wouldn't have to get up early in the morning. I don't drink coffee. Um, so <laughs> I drink tea. <laughs> and it was like no more getting up early in the mornings, trying to get to work. So I was going to be able to just really focus on recovering. Yeah. And that was fine. So I was like, well, you know, since I'm going to have more time available, I'm a volunteer with the Coleman Foundation, you know, the breast cancer yeah. people. Since yeah. I had breast cancer and they're the breast cancer people, I'm going to go ahead yeah. and I'm gonna do that. Because um, one of the things that was going on at that time, I didn't see a lot of African-American people you know, being diagnosed with, with breast cancer. I just didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, every time I looked, I mean, it was like there, I mean, I don't, I don't recall any commercials or anything. Whenever I had seen anything yeah. about, you know, October breast cancer awareness month, it was always Caucasians. So I really didn't even think about, you know, African-Americans and cancer, mm-hmm. especially breast cancer. So when I got diagnosed, I was like, oh man, wait a minute. The Coleman Foundation gets to diversify because, I'm going to be, I'm going to be part of it. And I'm going to make certain that the message gets told about that, you know, the importance of going in early detection and all those great things. I'm going to be that person for the Coleman Foundation. That was my plan. Mm -hmm. And so I started volunteering with them and I did some speaking engagements and everything was really, really good. But then when my employer let me get, you know, my employer had let me go. So I had free time. Well, then it time came for the bills to get paid. And that's when it all hit me. It's like, oh, wait a minute. You know, I'm, my full-time job income is no longer here. And I still yeah. have to pay the rent. And, you know, I was renting to own a house and I was paying $1,700 a month. Wow. And, you know, so it was like, I had the house, the rent for the house. I had the car note, the car insurance, cell phone, the electric cable, the gas. I had the bills. And I didn't know what I was about to find out. And so what I did is since I was volunteering with the Coleman Foundation, I went and I asked them for help because I figured, I'm a breast cancer survivor. Um, They're the breast cancer people. And so that's who I would go to. I knew they had raised millions of dollars. And so I was like, okay, I'm I'm not going to have to struggle. Well, that was when I found out that they don't use the money that they raise to help in the manner in which I need it. Now, granted, they fund research, which is tremendously important because without research, I would not, I doubt I would be here. Mm-hmm. And so there, I'm not saying that there's anything against research because there isn't. The, the challenge I was facing was I needed help paying the bills. And that just wasn't something that they did. And so, 
you know, I inquired as to, you know, where do you, where do you turn to? And so they referred yeah. me to the American Cancer Society. And I found out that they too, you know, don't provide the support <laughs> that which I needed. And so I went on this journey to find help. I found some places that though said things like, well, if you're income eligible and you're living in this city, then we can help you with up to this amount one time in your life. And, you know, one time the amount was $500. And then it's like, okay, well, it's not going to pay the rent. Um, it's not, it's either going to pay the gas or the electric or the water, but not all three. Um, because just the bills were just higher than that. It just yeah. is. And so I still wasn't able to find the help that I needed. I mean, it was a Band-Aid, but I I needed like authentic help. Yeah. And so I went and applied for welfare. I was turned down. Um, and that was the whole situation itself. And I was like, oh my God, okay, I can't get welfare. You wow. know, can I, I need some kind of help or else I'm going to lose everything. Yeah. So being a believer, I felt that God and I needed to have a conversation. <laughs> and I was like, God, and I'm about to talk. I'm going to go to his turf. We're going to talk on his turf. And so mm-hmm. that I attended at the time. And I asked, could I, you know, spend some time in the sanctuary? So in the sanctuary, me and God had a conversation. It was a heated conversation um, because I was explaining about the fact that I was <laughs> facing being evicted. And this just didn't make any sense. My lights were going to get cut off. Yeah. The car was going to get, I mean, I ran it down. And, you know, the people that were there overheard it. And so what happened next was life-changing because my church, you know, realized the situation and my church offered to pay my bills for me while I was going through treatment. Wow. That was incredible. And so, you know, my first thought of course was, oh, thank you. Praise God. That's a blessing for me. But what about all the other breast cancer patients that need help? Mm -hmm. Who are they going to turn to? We're, you know, they need help too. I'm not the only one. And then came the revelation. (laughs) Somebody needs to tell people where money does and doesn't go. Somebody needs to be the voice for the people. Somebody needs to, somebody to, not realizing that that somebody would end up being me. Yeah. And so um, I was like, okay, I can, you know, I was, I was given the instruction, just tell your story. And I've been telling my story for the last 15 years. So tell us then, Mary, about your organization. So the organization, which was originally named Christians Overcoming Cancer, and the reason is because I'm a Christian, a church of Christian, together we're Christians, we're overcoming cancer. Um, the original mission was to help breast cancer patients succeed on their road to recovery through awareness, emotional support, and financial relief services. Mm-hmm. Because I had breast cancer, and that's what we were dealing with. Yeah. When we were four months old, we got a referral of a woman that had cervical cancer. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And when I asked her the type of breast cancer she had, she said she didn't have breast cancer. She had cervical. And I told her we were unable to help her because she had the wrong type of cancer. Which mm. moment, it was like, what's the right type of cancer? Right. And there isn't a right type of cancer. And so I knew I had missed the mark. I'm like, I knew. And I was like, oh God, I'm so sorry. So you know, I explained to her that I would fix it. And she's like, no, everyone does things for breast cancer patients and, you know, breast cancer survivors and raising money for breast cancer research. And I said, I know that. And I'm a breast cancer survivor. And I have a problem with that because you have cervical cancer and you need help. So I need to fix it. And yeah. I am the one who can. 
And so I reached out to all of my board members, explained the situation, never want to tell someone they had the wrong type of cancer ever again in life. And they're like, yeah, Mary, yeah. are you sure? You, are you sure? And I said, absolutely. I know exactly what I'm talking about. In my mind, I meant in Columbus, Ohio, where I live, but we didn't say that. <laughs> and so people started coming. <laughs> they started coming from Cincinnati and Toledo and Cleveland. I was like, okay, well, we can't tell them they have to be from Columbus. So we figure out a way to help. Yeah. Then they started coming from Georgia and Texas and California and New York. And I was like, oh, okay. We can't tell them they have to be an Ohioan. So we get to figure out how to help them. And then when we got our first application, it came from Colling- Collingwood, Ontario, Canada. And I was like, oh, well, I can't tell them they have to be an American. <laughs> so we'll figure out how to help them. <laughs> and then they started coming from all over. And so for the last 15 years, um, we've been able to provide services to people in all 50 states. Um, we have contacts with organizations internationally. And it's wow. just been amazing. You could not have told me that just because I couldn't find the help that I needed would lead to me creating a nonprofit that would literally impact the entire world of cancer and change the narrative. And so last year we made a decision because people were doing things like they would call and they would say, hi, my name is, you know, so-and-so. And I'm calling. I was referred to you by the American Cancer Society. I'm in need of help with paying my, my utilities. And oh, by the way, I'm a Christian. And if you could help me out, I would greatly appreciate it. And so when they threw that little part in there, oh, I'm a Christian, that let us know that people thought they had to be Christians to get our services. And mm-hmm. so what we did was we rebranded to the COC. And we're in the process of officially changing all of that to where the COC will will always be Christians Overcoming Cancer in spirit, but it mm-hmm. will be called the Cancer Option Collaborative. Oh, so I love that. Cancer. Yeah. And then that way people won't have to, you know, leave the, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian too. <laughs> I was yes. like, oh, bless their heart. And there are several people that did that. It's like, we, we've got to help them. We've got to help them. And then, you know, some people just were like, well, I, I would give, I would give money to that group, but that's a Christian religious and what about the other religions and we don't discriminate in any way shape or form because we understand that cancer does not care about a person's race their gender their orientation their preference their religion their income status their you fill in the blank cancer does not care all of us are at risk of develop you know getting a cancer diagnosis because truth be told and there are very few doctors that will say it we all have cancer cells in our body yeah. It just is what it is. Yes. And so we wanted to make certain that we were positioned to be the best help that we can be. Um, wow. Because there are places out there, you know, there are places now that are starting to give financial assistance, which we love. We think that's great. They just are limited in what they do. So yeah. what sets us apart is number one, we verify the person's in treatment um, in partnership with the patient. The patient gives us permission to call their doctor. And then we want to know treatment, maintenance, or follow-up. From there, they also let us know what their needs are. And then we go to work. And our you know, initial goal is to try to connect them to resources that are out there already. But if we can't find someone, then we will go ahead and be that answer for them. Wow. So if the car breaks down, 
And, you know, they're trying trying to find some place that can fix the car. And everyone says, we don't do that. We don't do that. We don't do that. They usually get referred to us because we will do that. You know, shout out to Auto Plus in, you know, here in Ohio. Um, they have fixed and repaired many cars for us. Wow. People battling cancer it, because they need it. The reality yeah. is they need it. Yeah. And we're thankful for the, the partnerships and the collaborations that we have because people don't have to do that. But yeah. it's just a blessing, you know, and, you know, we get referrals from all over. I mean, you name it. Um, the American Cancer Society, Live Strong, St. Jude, wow. um, Cancer Centers of America gotten referrals from the Veterans Administration because there are where there were veterans that had needs that just weren't covered. And, yeah. you know, they were battling cancer, so they needed help. And so we don't, I mean, we're like, whatever it is. And people know, like, if a person is battling cancer, and if you really want to get them connected with someone who's going to be passionate about helping them, we are the, we are the, we are the ones. I mean, cause that's what we do. That's our focus. Yeah. We're not, we're not out there doing a whole bunch of other stuff. We are raising money to help people battling cancer, pay their bills while they go through treatment. Wow. That, that is incredibly powerful, incredibly powerful. And to know that they came from your journey of not being able to find what you needed. And how scary that must have been for you as a single mom. You must have been rather young when you were diagnosed the first time. I, I was, God, how old was I? <laughs> I think I was 38. Oh, I was 38. So my, young, how, my, my youngest son, and the way that it happened, it wasn't, it wasn't like I felt or anything like that. My youngest son was, and I were actually wrestling because, you know, I'm super mom. And being a single <laughs> parent, you know, it's like, you know, we, you know come here and headlock and no. Yeah. And so he accidentally elbowed me in the chest. And when that happened, it hurt. And I was like, oh, 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 you know, you know, because it really hurt. Yeah. And after a couple of days, it was still hurting. And so I went to the emergency room. And in the emergency room, the ER doctor was like, I think I feel something, but I'm not sure. So I'm going to recommend you have a mammogram. And I was like, but they don't do that till they're, you know, you're 40. Yeah. You know, I'm only 38. And he said, well, you know, something's going on. And so in January of 2006, I went in January 10th, 2006, I went in to um, have a mammogram done. And sure enough, they saw a mass. It was literally in the absolute center of my breast. Um, If you can envision like a softball, you you have a softball, but the center is hard and you can't feel it was like that. And so it was there. And, you know, we, you know, we knew it's like, okay, our options are aggressive chemo. I mean, it was like, okay. And so I did that. But yeah, my youngest son, um, I tell him, I'm like, God used you to save my life. <laughs> and how old was he then? Oh God. You're asking me to calculate. Um, I think he was, <laughs> he might've been 15, 16. Yeah. He was yeah. young. Yeah. Cause yeah. he was still living at home. So. Mm-hmm. And then, so when you went through that, and I, if, if these questions are, if these are not things you want to talk about, then I talk about it all. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I figured I could tell by the way you're so authentic and open. Walk us through that journey, if you would, of that one. And then what was your time frame when they said, oh, by the way, <laughs> it's back? Or was that how it happened? How did that oh. all go? Oh, totally. Oh, let me tell you, totally different story. In okay. So I went um, the first time. So in 2006, I start. you know, well, first they wanted me to have my, my, my breast cut off right away. And I was like, I am not ready to get rid of my girl. So <laughs> Q 
can we, you know, can we figure something else out? And so we did neoadjuvant chemotherapy. So that's the aggressive, the purpose to try to shrink the mass to see if maybe a lumpectomy could be done. Mm-hmm. It ain't work. It ain't work. Um, I had to have my right breast removed. So did that. It was like, okay, we, you know, I, for me, because see, I was that crazy one because I still was, in, I still was doing stuff um, in the midst of it all, trying to build an organization, trying to work with my youngest, well, my middle son who had just started getting into modeling. So we were trying to travel. I was still trying to have a regular life mm-hmm. in the midst of it all. Yeah. I can't tell you how I made it through other than by the grace of God. Mm-hmm. So I had the surgery done, um, which that was, it was experience in itself. Um, because I had 100 stitches on the inside and 200 stitches on the outside, but felt no pain, which was crazy. Um, I didn't have pain meds and I, I, w- I did overnight mastectomy. So I was in the, literally in the hospital overnight. Wow. Um, made wow. it through, made it through that building the organization for years. And then in 2012, you know, I got an email from a physician that said, Hey, let's have, I'm having a having a conversation about reconstruction, love to have you come. And so I went to, you know, this talk with this physician and um, that ended up me on a path of having reconstruction surgery. That reconstruction surgery almost killed me. Um, But, you know, not every surgery is guaranteed. Um, Something that went wrong, it just was not planned for. And as a result, um, it literally almost killed me. I got put in a nursing home for oh um, six, almost six months. And, you know, it, and like I said, that's a story in itself. It was an unfortunate situation um, because there were, there, it was found out that there were some things that could have been done that were not done. And as a result, um, I had to seek legal advice and we went to court and I won my case and you know it was unfortunate but yeah. you know I'm I, reconstruction you know those who have it great because I had plans I was like I'm gonna have me a, a tram flat with a tummy tuck my stomach's gonna be flat <laughs> I'm gonna have my girl back be a different version of a girl but I'm gonna have it and I'm you know had all the plans didn't work out that way yeah. so that was in 2012 and then time passed and you know after I recovered and got back to traveling, raising money for the organization. <sighs> I remember it was on a Friday and I got a phone call and people think it's crazy the way that it happened. It's just, it was just coincidental, you know, the way that it happened. You know, I'll, I'll put it out there like that. On a Friday, I got a phone from a woman that was, uh, she had been in remission for years and then the cancer came back and she was trying to get help. And she had reached out to some places that she had found that had helped her in the past. Yeah. And they told her they couldn't help her because it was once in your life. And so she was upset when she called us. And she was like, I just can't believe that these cancer organizations and I know you guys make sure you get your paychecks. And she just went on and on and on. And I was like, man, you know, we don't care how many times you've been diagnosed. We, we, we don't, you we don't get caught up in that. We just care that you're in active treatment. You have a need. You know, yeah, that, yeah. that's our parameter, our eligibility requirement. We just got two. And she was like, oh, thank you, God. And I was like, oh, you're a believer. Oh, ye of little faith. Let's have that conversation. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I had a conversation about her and, you know, where she was spiritually. And she asked me this question. She said, so how many times have you battled cancer? And I said, just once. And she said, so you don't know what it's like 
to have been diagnosed with cancer and been in remission and then have the cancer come back? I said, no, I don't. And she said, okay, well, God bless you and hung up the phone. And I was like, man, that's a deep question. Yeah. You know, how am I, how am I really going to encourage other people that battled cancer more than once if I hadn't battled cancer more than once? Right. So me being me said, hey, God, I got a question. (laughs) How are you going to have me, you know, talking to these people, trying to minister to these people when they battle cancer more than once? And I don't know what it's like to battle cancer more than once. (laughs) Be careful what you ask for. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Be careful how you talk to God. And so a week later, um, because that was on a Friday, the next day I was leaving to Lake Charles, Louisiana to an event. Um, that my friend Russell Chu was hosting and I was there. And so mm-hmm. for days I was there raising money for the organization. I came back and I had a feeling like, man, something just doesn't feel right. I think, I think I got to go get the other side checked. I don't know why I'm just feeling something yeah. going on. I don't know. I don't know what I just feel that. So I reached out to, you know, to my doctor, Dr. Mark Kripe, and was like, hey, I think something's going on. I don't know what. And he was like, but Mary, it's not time. You're not due until January. I said, I know it's July and I'm sorry, but I just know what, if I'm feeling something like this, yeah, there may be something going on. And so he said, okay, we scheduled me having a mammogram. And sure enough, it was cancer. Wow. Yeah. I had cancer on the other side. It wasn't metastatic. It was another time. And so I was like, you've got to be kidding wow. me because I had sketch, I had stuff on my calendar for the organization. I knew what I was going to do. Yeah. So I remember telling them, I said, okay, it's still, because I remember the dates. It was July 24th. And yeah, I was yeah. like, okay, next week, Monday, I can come in. I can get a port put in my chest um, on Monday. Then I can have my breast, uh, put, get a port put on my chest on Monday, recover Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, get out of the hospital in time to go to Texas to an event. And then I'd come back the following Monday, have my breast removed and then start chemo. And he was like, no, you, you not, <laughs> you're not. And so I went on a non-traditional plan. I actually did eight months of chemo and three and a half months. Whew, I almost killed myself, sent myself into becoming a full diabetic wow. and heart failure. I'm just going to back that up. Eight months of chemo in three and a half months. Because oh, in my and when I say that I wasn't having chemo every week, it's mm-hmm. just the way that they were going to space it out. Yes, it was going to be over an eight month period, and I just didn't have that to do. I just wow, I'm not, I'm not. I didn't want to go into the following year. Um, I didn't want to go into 2016. That you know, going through yeah. chemo, I was like, right, I've done enough. And he would be like, okay, we're in August, so I literally started chemo in September and had it done the end of December. Wow. Um, and it truly did almost kill me. Um, there's some videos out there where my middle son came home from California and they think that'd be screaming and hollering. Uh, but it was something um, because I ended up sending myself into heart failure. And so my ejection fraction, which is the strength in which your heart pumps or your heart beats and pumps the blood through you, yeah. supposed to be 65 or up. Mine was at 30%. So yeah. So for all of 2016, I was just trying to recover still running the organization, still, you know, asking people to make donations, still paying bills, still trying to do it. But it was, it was so much slower and it was like, 
I got to live. I got to live. I got to live. And then I still didn't listen because then I ended up and it was like diabetic ketoacidosis. I did, went through that. It's like, okay. So now I, I, I am a proponent, a full proponent of let me take care of Mary Jenkins because it doesn't make any sense. If Mary Jenkins is super sick and can't do anything, how in the world am I supposed to lead the organization if I can't barely walk? And so it was something. So now, you know, I just got done doing kickboxing. I love kickboxing. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> it's, it just, it's been so amazing. It's like, but the, the journey and just the growth and, yeah. you know, all of those things. So I can truly encourage somebody like, listen, regardless of what you're going through, there's a lesson to be learned. And mm-hmm. let's focus, focus on the lesson. I know the situation may be bad. I know the situation may be unfair. I know the situation may be hurtful. I know these things. There is a lesson and that lesson will, will do something for you and it will be good. Yeah. If you let it. If you let it. If you let it. So how, let's say that um, someone comes to you and they're telling you your story and you're trying, or do you help them? manifest this lesson or help them see what this lesson could be. How do you walk people through that? Do you walk people through that? And how do they receive it? Sometimes I have the opportunity to walk people through it. And then people are always following me. So like people to like, go, go to just go listen to her. Just go, just go listen. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) But when I have the opportunity to really talk to a person, I want to hear where they're at. Mm-hmm. because it, it makes no difference where I'm at. It makes all the difference where they're at. And it may be someone who's not a believer at all. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay. And which is fine because I'm not, it's not my job to impose my religious beliefs on them. It is my job to support them. And the reality of it is on the other side of every test, going through every test, there is a lesson. And so it's like, let's see what the lesson is. You know, what do you hope? What we, what is it that you, what is the best outcome that you are looking for? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've had instances where, you know, the person, unfortunately, you know, they had their diagnosis was terminal mm-hmm. and, you know, the reality of it is death is going to pass us all. Yeah. And we get to choose, you know, for me, I would rather choose to believe that there is some place out there called heaven and hell um, versus no, not, but it's up to people. It's not my place to, to impose, but the reality of it is we get to come to terms with that. Yeah. And so, you know, I have been asked, you know, Mary, how are you able to speak to other people knowing, you know, your own mortality is always in front of you. Yeah. And I keep telling them because it's not about me. You know, I, I, I absolutely that what has happened in my journey was allowed to happen so that I could be a voice in the earth to be an inspiration to others. And you are in, in such a huge way. I could, I could talk like forever. We could, <laughs> we could probably have a 20 hour episode here. You are inspirational and your smile alone. People who are simply listening to this as a podcast can hear your smile. Of that, I am sure the positivity and not a toxic positivity, but a positivity that no matter what, I'm going to be okay. Yeah. The things that happened to me, no, not okay, but I'm going to be okay. That's what I hear in yeah. your voice. Yeah. Because I mean, for me, 
being diagnosed with stage three, almost stage four, um, triple negative is, is a intense diagnosis. Mm-hmm. The reality, um, also that many people don't, you know, or, you know, may have heard, but, you know, just you hear something that just passes you by. African-American females get diagnosed with cancer less often, but we die more often. Really? Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. And see, and, you know, people are like, why is that? Well, because we tend to be caregivers. And, you know, let's just talk women in general. We tend to be the caregiver, the nurturer, the, you know, I, I know that, you know, I know I haven't had a cycle in three months, but it's okay. I'll be fine. That's not normal. Right. Or I know I feel this, I feel this, this, the swelling under my arm, mm-hmm. but I've got to go take the kids to school and I've got to go cook dinner and I've got to go. To, so I'll be okay. Maybe it's because my cycle's starting and my lymph nodes are swelling. And so we try to self-diagnose. Yeah. And women especially mm-hmm. try to do that. And so African-American females try to do that a lot. Um, and in doing that, okay, yeah, I got this mask, but I don't have time to go to the doctor because, you know, maybe I'm in a single parent household or if I'm in a two parent household, you know, our finances may not be where they need to be. If I take time off from work, how am I, if I take time off from work, how am I going to pay the bills? Yeah. And so the bills, it's the bills, it's the bills. Late, someone just brought to my attention yesterday that there's an individual um, that is battling, I think they're battling colon cancer. They was colon cancer. And they made a statement that they are more afraid of not being able to pay the bills than they are of dying of cancer. Wow. What in the world? Yeah. That should that, not. That should not. Oh my God, that should not. And who no. I'm about to get emotional because I could feel it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because I just know, and I have been in contact with several people that to postpone treatment because they needed to save up money because when they didn't go to work, they weren't going to be able to pay their bills. Wow. I have, I remember there was a man, and this was years ago. Okay. Because I mean, I I love what I do for real. But there was this man and he had testicular cancer. Never forget. And he lived in California. And he didn't want to have treatment. He didn't want to put his family through having to take care of him going through treatment. So he made a decision to not go through treatment and mm-hmm. had convinced himself that it would be okay because if he died, he had a life insurance policy that his family could be okay off of. And I was like, do you hear yourself? Yeah. You've reduced yourself to a life insurance policy. Right. And, and he was like, well, there's, there's nothing else that I could do. There's nobody else. I was like, do, have you even considered the treatment options? I mean, what do you think they're about to do to you? And yeah. he was like, well, I know most people, you know, when you have chemo, you, you chances are you're going to die anyway. So he had this whole thought. I mean, I don't know who he was talking to. Yeah. Fortunately, by the time he got done talking to me, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> Oh no, you're not. Don't don't let me have to get on a plane and come to California because <laughs> I'm willing. Uh, but we had a whole conversation, and he went on. He did have treatment because treatment was like chemo for him was not what he thought. Yeah, he made it through. 
He made it through. I mean, made it through. He's still alive today. And it's just like, wow. don't, don't send me there. Because when wow. I love, like when I connect with people, because I, I, I can't even say I try not to connect with people because I connect with people all the time. Um, when people, when I'm able to develop relationships, with people, my heart is like, it's my heart, you know? Yeah. I remember the first child, um, the, the first child that I really connected with the child. And so, mm-hmm. there, I mean, there was a, there was a woman and her son had battled cancer and he unfortunately had passed away. And so my heart went out, but then there was this little oh. girl and, you know, I know Ginger, I know you won't mind. I'm, I'm shouting out your baby. <laughs> Cause I always do. Uh, her name was Sophia Hope Thomas. Oh, and beautiful. I think Sophia, Sophia Hope was like, I want to say she was eight months old when oh. she was going through treatment. Oh and gosh. I happened to be at the children's hospital and I was just walking through and I heard this child and I'm like, wait a minute. Cause it didn't even dawn on me about kids battling cancer. And yeah. I'm like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Wait a minute. So you mean, and I was like, so you mean to tell me? Because of course, I think a hundred times an hour, single parent gets diagnosed with cancer. Single parent can't go to work because they're at the hospital with child. Yeah. Or what's worse, single parent goes to work and leaves child at the hospital. <sighs> got to be kidding me. Or married couple, you know, Dating couple, whatever couple, 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 child gets diagnosed with cancer. Who's going to work and who's going to be at the hospital? Right. This, the mental and emotional strain because surrounding bills. And I'm like, people have no idea. They have no idea. And, you know, and then there's, there's so many people that are in need. So many. So we always have a waiting list. You know, I, I said to my board when I said, someone could write me a check for a million dollars. And we'd go through it in a, in less than a year. Yeah. Because, you know, in, in 2020 alone, a million people got diagnosed. Oh my gosh. And that needs financial assistance. Um, not everyone is struggling at that level, but there are a lot of who are. There yeah. are a lot. Yes. And, you know, and so, and the needs, sometimes it's a thousand dollars. Sometimes it's $2,000. Sometimes it's $300. It, the need just varies. Yeah, And, you know, that's why we try to impress upon people. Please understand what it is that we do. We, we're not a food pantry. So we're not asking people to make, you know, send us food, cans of food and stuff. But we don't do that. We're not a yeah. food pantry. We, I, we, have, we have relationships with food pantries. You know, shout out to Pastor Corey and Crossroads World Outreach and Pastor Alex and um, in his presence ministry. So, you know, because we can send people to them. And NEAP, we, we send people to where the food pantry, because that's what they do. That's not yeah. what we do. Right. We will make sure the lights stay on, the electric is on. So that way, when they get the food, they have, you know, the refrigerator still works. Yeah. That, that's what, that's what we do. We're not, yeah. you know, we're not, a, we're not a, a clothing pantry, you know, or thrift store. We don't do that. That's not yeah. what we do. Um, oftentimes people are like, you know, well, well, you know, I make, I make care, care, care packages for cancer survivors, which is great. Thank you. And, you know, when we connect with people, if they, if they come to us, we will bless people with them because we've had, um, we've had a representative with Mary Kay. Should they make these beautiful care packages and we give them to survivors. That is beautiful. And our focus is making certain that the bills get paid. Yeah. That's, you know, so we are like, well, how do you know? Like, you know, 
we, we don't, we don't get the luxury of, you know, hosting the event that has all of the survivors there and, and people come and they see all the people because not yeah. everyone wants to, wants everyone to know yeah, that they need to help paying their bills, you know? Yeah. It's a it's, private thing. It's so, yeah. And incredibly, incredibly beautiful. And I, I wish we could, I wish we could go on forever, which just means you have to come back another time because <laughs> there's so much more I want to ask you. But before I do let you go this time, I will qualify that with this time because I'll chase you this down time. if I have to. <laughs> Can you tell us your version of your Pow Pow shoes and give us a writing prompt? Mm, so my version of Pow Pow, Pow, Pow shoes is truth. I love it. Uh, being engulfed in truth. Fortunately for me, when I'm, when I get to share literally my story, which is my truth, I mean, it, that just lights me up because I know that someone else is being inspired as a result of it. Um, and then you said in my journal prompt yeah. hmm, would be my, I am statement. And it's a specific statement. It's made of three parts. It's like three things that make up you. And so for me, my, I am is that I am a world-changing, generous, inspiring woman. Beautiful. I encourage you to identify who you are and let that be your I am statement that you say to yourself every single day. And let's say that everyone does this because they're going to, and they want to they let you know what they, what they wrote for their I am statement. How can we find you? Where do we find more about Mary Jenkins and how can we contact uh, you? Follow, uh, definitely. I'm on Facebook. It's really me. Um, And so I will send, you know, send me a friend request. I will accept it. Send me an email, mary at the cockares.org. And that's mary at, and then T-H-E-C-O-C-C-A-R-E-S.org. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter. Um, I'm really there. And I will link all of those in the show notes. So anybody who's listening, just head to those show notes. And I want to, I want to put a link to this book too. Is your book on Amazon or do we find it on your website? On the website, the website for the book, it's called, well, destined to overcome. So destined to overcome.com. And that book, just so people know, it is a, it's a devotional, but it's an intentional one. So every day it's a declaration to win at life. that's beautiful. I can't wait to get it. And I will definitely put a link for that in the show notes because I'm going to have one in my hands as soon as possible. Because every, I just believe everyone was destined to overcome. They did not know it in the moment, but you know, and then, oh, I got to put this out here too. Yeah. On September 17th and September 18th, we're having a summit. It is called the Summit of Inspiration, Pain, Birth, Purpose Experience. Wow. And the reason it's called that is because People have had some amazing experiences and they've gone on to write books, become speakers, start businesses and do so many things. And they've learned lessons that we called golden nuggets. And so on that day, September 17th and the 18th, we are having the summit, the summit of inspiration to inspire the world. And we have speakers from around the world. And is this uh, virtual or an in-person? It is virtual. Okay, awesome. And is that on your website as well? There's a Facebook group to join. Okay. And so it's, it's the summit of inspiration. So join the group when well, we, ha- we have not released the link to get tickets yet because we're like, okay, you know, we we're inviting the world to come. Yes. <laughs> and this is going to be amazing. So. Oh, I can't wait. Count me in. Awesome. Count me in. I cannot thank you enough 
for being here. I can't thank you enough for coming back again because I know you will. I will. <laughs> because I know I could just sense your heart and the the openness that you have. And it's such a it's such a not very much seen and such a beautiful, beautiful thing to see. So thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening in. I want you to know I do not take it for granted that you give me this time to have coffee and tea together with me. But before you go, it would mean the world to me if you grab a quick coffee or tea refill and pop into the podcast reviews and leave me a review. It's how this podcast grows. It's how it reaches and empowers more women. And it's how I know how to serve you best. I want this podcast to be what you need. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and share it with your friends. And follow me on Instagram at I am Carrie V. Remember, it is never too late. Peace out, girlfriend. Pow, pow.